My goodness me. Here it is. Predictable. Well choreographed. Perfectly rehearsed. Hello and welcome to this special guest interview edition of Grassroots, the leading podcast for the Grassroots Women's Game. In this pick and drive of an episode, we meet the inspirational Victoria Rush, the creator of the I Am Enough movement. We discuss her journey as a player, as a campaigner, and now a filmmaker. We talk about the exciting new documentary on Amazon Prime, No Woman, No Try, how it came together, and what it has meant to her. 22 months out with a triple knee operation. She runs in, tries for five. Lou. She has got a remarkable strike rate. And I'm Jodie. The forward who can't stop scoring. And Molly. The cannonball coming through. And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots. I'm joined today on Grassroots by Victoria Rush. Victoria is the founder of the hashtag I am enough movement. So welcome to the podcast, Victoria. Thanks very much for having me, Matt. So Victoria, opening question. Tell me all about it. So the hashtag I am enough, well, started in August 2020. So we're going back a couple of years now. The short version, just in case people already know it, is that Canterbury launched their new Irish international kit that summer. They used the male players as the models for the kit, so the full, the full kit, a big photo shoot. To release the new female kit, they superimposed pictures of it onto models. It's so very simply a moment in time where female athletes were overlooked to have the same visibility, uh, the same opportunity as the male players. It was another moment in time where women have been overlooked, whether you want to say that in sport or, or any other kind of place in life, really. Another missed moment. You'd think with Canterbury, that, wouldn't you, that they're, as a rugby-only brand, that they would have thought better than that? It's really unfortunate. The guys at Canterbury, because I did speak to them um, just before the hashtag sort of blew up off the back of it, and it was just a string of small decisions that created a bigger mistake. They had planned to do the women's photo shoot. COVID had stopped that. But then the decision to superimpose the kit onto models made it very clear that they hadn't thought about what it meant to players to be the models of the kit. You know, to be the role models for kids to see. It's a real shame and Canterbury aren't the first brand to do this. They obviously landed in the middle of, of this particular moment. They're not the first and I, I doubt they will be the last. That hashtag really came, for me, it was about, it reminded me of being a kid in a gym, being told by boys and, and things that I wasn't supposed to be there, that it meant I wanted to be a boy and that I shouldn't want to get fitter in that way. I should you know, do it by running because that's what girls do. I had sort of got to an age where I thought maybe we're past this maybe the world's a little bit of a better place in some respects than it was when I was younger but clearly I'm I'm wrong for me it was kind of that you don't need brands or other people to validate who you are and what you deserve you can validate yourself and more about internalizing that for yourself and believing in yourself so it was really a phrase that came to me as no I am enough to do that if I wanted to do that I can so it was kind of about actually telling myself that and giving other women something to say to themselves in the mirror. I am enough. That was what it was about. It was about self-empowerment. And I actually messaged so many people on Instagram, I was blocked by them for not getting enough replies fast enough. And I just messaged a load of people in rugby and said, look, it, I would kind of like to stand up against this, but not against Canterbury, but against this feeling that we're told we shouldn't play rugby or we shouldn't play football or we shouldn't play sport we you know we should only be looking at our bodies for what they look like not for what they can do and 
it kind of exploded from there, really. As everybody saw, it was global. It was all over the world. Players from Hong Kong, the USA, Australia, all across Europe. I mean, all across the UK and all the, the press as well that it picked up. So, no, it was incredible. And I think it made me realise how many women felt that. Yeah. And look at your own experience, Victoria. So, you know, what's your journey in rugby yourself? So I actually started playing at uni. I was about 19, I think. Um, I'd played sports through school, loved, loved hockey, got to uni, and I'd always really enjoyed watching rugby with my dad, but I never knew it was even an option for me to play. So I went down to trials one day, I think I'm beginning my second year, as I discovered that our uni actually had a women's team, and I never went back to anything else and played from then on, really. I had a great time with it at uni, went, played, started playing club, played for Yorkshire whilst I was still, still up there. So I went to uni in Leeds. And then um, sort of came down to London, played a bit for Richmond, retired for a small space of time <laughs> through you know, work, and work and things like that. You kind of get caught up trying to juggle a job in the city and things like that. And then um, through lockdown, I was like, I'm not quite done yet. <laughs> I've got to come back. And now bits of me are like falling off every time I go to training and, and things. So uh, I think my playing days are close, but. I will always stay very, very much within the sport as, I, as much in sport as I can. And going back to that question of body image and I am enough, saying it's one thing, but believing it's something entirely different, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that for me is why the phrase was about self-empowerment and telling yourself and, and realising, being able to help realise you don't require it from others don't need to go searching for all the you know there's good and bad of social media and some of the bad is the fact that people do post selfies because they want the validation from other people and if we can help find just a few more ways to give it back to ourselves and not need it always from others that's a very good thing for us all mentally as well and how are you seeing the impacts of this at grassroots level do you know i think the response was probably biggest from grassroots level right because there's a little bit more accessibility at the grassroots level just in terms of where there's more women playing at that level than they're ever going to be playing at international level obviously and actually the the game represents for, for men and women the game represents a grassroots level more normal people we're all in the game to have fun and and to stay fit but it's not about being a dedicated elite athlete it's about having fun with a sport and playing rugby or playing football with your mates and, and just enjoying life that way and then I think therefore represents a lot more of a diverse body type because of that and I think for me it even bled into like rugby league as well because at the end of the day the sport without causing too much of an argument is the same yeah yeah no I totally agree yeah the struggles in rugby league are the same that they are in rugby union for for participation uh, for matches for recognition across the wider sport and so on and as you've already alluded to it filters down into kit manufacturing and all the rest of it as well doesn't it and apparel actually it's only recently that we're starting to see genuine apparel that isn't just cheesy slogans boring pun yeah (laughs) exactly one thing that we see a lot in our club are players that come into the game relatively new from not playing it before and they go on that journey where they switch from regarding their body as something to torture effectively to fit an aesthetic that is dictated by society or, or whatever to regarding their body as a powerful tool that can be used on the rugby field in a variety of ways. So that idea that I've got strong, powerful legs, which is actually a good thing for a back row forward, 
but maybe doesn't look like how I felt it should in an Instagram post, for example. That transition can take some time, can't it? What can clubs, what can the game do better to help people get to that point quicker? That's a good question. Rugby probably doesn't talk about the fact that it's one of very few places where what your body can do is more important than what it looks like. Because our society doesn't offer that as an option, especially to women, very often. We are predominantly flooded with the Love Island world and the all of those reality shows. And that's okay. I, I'm not bashing them, by the way. I used to love Love Island. I'm, I'm, I'm over it now. But those are allowed to be options. If somebody wants to do that, good on them. It takes some serious guts to want to, want to be in a world like that. But that can't be the only option we offer people. We need more for young boys and girls growing up to know that it's not just what they look like but what they do or how they think and that is as important and I think rugby at that level actually has a really unique space. All of these movements there was the eye care movement about six months after the I'm enough movement and that again showed that rugby is finding a voice that a positive voice that the internet is sort of offering that closer connection that it's created it doesn't have to be for bad it can be for good it can be for great and the same happened I think it was last year there's a, a young girl called Frankie her dad runs an Instagram account about her wanting to be a, a rugby player she's quite young and she's a big Harlequins fan and uh, she said that on, on uniform day she wanted to wear a harlequin shirt or a dad said you should wear your harlequin shirt you said no because all the other girls will wear dresses and the boys will wear football kits and i'll be the odd one out and i get bullied for always being in rugby kit and things like that so many female rugby players came along so don't worry it's happened to all of us you wear what makes you feel comfortable and she did and she loved it and it's things like that where we can bash body negativity and, and that comes out of social but we can try and use it for better and i think someone said 2021 was the year rugby found her voice now we're going from there and everybody has realized that social media can help us really make these changes one thing that i think is a big challenge with this is that alongside body positivity there's also a national epidemic of obesity. That's quite challenging, isn't it? Because you want players to feel themselves and you want players to feel confident participating in sport and so on. But you also need players to be healthy. And obviously by participating at all is a, is a good step forward. Where's the line, do you think? I think as long as people are turning up and playing, then that's the best thing. The more you play... Over the time, the fitter you'll get, but that doesn't necessarily mean that where your body looks will change. And it's kind of like moving away from like, you know, it's literally moving away from how it looks to what it does. One person looks like when they're the fittest is completely different to what someone else can look like when they're at their fittest. So you know, as long as you're turning up, whether you're going for a run or you're taking your dog for a walk every day or you're getting down to training twice a week or you're in the gym seven times a week. For me personally, I don't think it matters as long as you're showing up and you're trying. Because don't get me wrong, I am not in the shape that I've been in in the past <laughs> and I'm uncomfortable with myself some days, but I don't want that to stop me going to the gym or you know, like, literally as simple as just making sure I get up and take the dog out for a walk a couple of times a day. That's more than doing nothing. And yeah, look, yeah, we do have a huge obesity crisis. I'd probably put that down to food uh, and our access to mcdonald's through lockdown compared to fresh fruit and veg but yeah i'd say i wouldn't want to deter anyone from just showing up for themselves whether you make sure you do ten thousand steps a day in jan that's been my goal actually ten thousand steps a day and i think i've done it almost every day except 
the other day when I was slightly too hungover to get out of bed. <laughs> but other than that, everyone needs a break, Victoria. Everyone yeah, we had five days in Jan, and that was it really. So I just just give people that opportunity, you know, to be there and to show up if they can. Obviously, it's still a long way to go, isn't there? I think even though we're starting to see more images in the mainstream media of female rugby players both playing and also for both fashion and in their kit and so on and it's starting to become a little bit more just more normal i suppose i'd also say probably that they're still not quite showing the diversity of body types across those sorts of images no definitely not agreed agreed yeah i mean if you go into Nike's flag store in oxford circus you will see a slight variety in uh, the mannequins they use and it is sort of starting to appear some of the bigger brands are doing it but no you're right you definitely don't see enough of that diversity of body type and it's a real shame especially in a sport like rugby because your one, your nine, and your 15 don't look the same. No, not at all. And that's across a handful of players, realistically. It's one of the things, actually, when the I Am Enough movement was sort of all coming about, it was there was an argument on Twitter, because God, I love a Twitter argument. Somebody said that female rugby players aren't aesthetically pleasing enough to be models, which is, you know, one of my starting points of becoming slightly angry towards the situation. I said that forwards aren't good-looking enough. So that's interesting because I'm sure I've seen like Joe Marler and Carl Sinclair in, a, in an England rugby ad. So what's the difference? You know, they're not exactly Rubenesque beauties, are they? Uh, exactly, but um, they are models for their position and forwards in rugby. So what's the difference between a man and a woman in that position? And then it comes down to, you, well, I've seen the local team down on the weekend. I was like, yeah, I know, I've seen a men's local team down on the weekend. They don't look like them either, but that's not the point, is it? It's really trivialising it down to, again, what people's bodies look like, not what they can do. And those guys are models for their position. Jesus, the, the things they can do. We're getting there every now and again. You, you do get brands doing the right and using more diverse people in every sense of the word. But you, with that, you get a lot of a reaction of, oh, it's really woke and you're only doing it because you're supposed to. For me, I actually don't care if you think you're doing it because you're supposed to. What you're doing is creating more of an acceptance of it in society. And the, the, the faster we do it, the more that we do it. It's got to be a mirror, hasn't it? What's out there to market products has got to mirror what the reality looks like on the ground. And if you look at yeah, exactly. a, a classic grassroots team, you're going to have players that do fit a traditional aesthetic and others that don't. But you'll see that across every team from Prem right down to the National Challenge Leagues. And for players that are relatively new to the game and maybe haven't gone through that journey yet of accepting who they are, they're probably forever measuring themselves against an aesthetic that is going to be physically impossible for their body type. Yeah, and marketing and advertising was always done like that. It was about creating an ideal that people wanted so they'd buy the products because they wanted to be like that. And that's all based on the idea that everybody wants to be exactly the same as one thing. And maybe in the 60s and 80s, and that might have been the case, but that's not anymore. People don't actually want to be the same as each other. And the world isn't skinny white men and women. Very simply, it's not. We need what we sell to represent that and the way we sell it to represent that. Totally. We're taking steps forward, but not necessarily fast enough. One of the things that causes me a great deal of concern, and partly selfishly because I've got an 11-year-old daughter, but also just on a national level, is the drop-off in participation from age 13, 12, 13, through to adulthood. And there's a scary statistic that something like 80% of players that drop out of sports at, at that age group never go back to it for the rest of their lives, which I find deeply upsetting so that says to me that there's something happening within that age group that may or may not be linked to things like i am enough how can we get that message down into the younger generation oh that's a great question i think personally i think it's all the small decisions that we make between the way we bring up boys and girls 
Yeah. So there's the Women's Sports Federation in the States did research over 25 years that said that girls by the age of 14 have had 1.5 million less opportunities to participate in sport than boys. And the dropout rate of boys and girls by 14 is double. They have less of a chance. If families have to put money into their kids becoming professional athletes, they'll choose the boy over the girl because there are more opportunities for the boys. So all these little things still... When you have a daughter and you have a son, you give your daughter a unicorn or a Barbie and you give your son a football or a rugby ball. You're making small decisions for them so early on, kind of setting it in stone from that point on that you have this and you have this. A friend of mine whose daughter turned around and says, Mommy, why don't my clothes have pockets? Where do I put my action man? I was like, I love your kid. But it's things like that, like little girl's clothing hasn't inherently always had pockets. So then we have handbags. And in order to any small decisions all add up to girls having less opportunities than boys. You see them less on TV. They don't have the role models they would that boys have. You know, boys grow up knowing that if they wanted to, and I know it's not easy, don't get me wrong, it's not simple to be a professional athlete, but if they wanted to persevere and try, they can. Girls don't get to see that opportunity. So all these tiny little things compound into a big societal shift between the way boys and girls see sport is my opinion on it. That lack of visibility, which is kind of created by a lack of access and a lack of funding, those for me are the three key issues. Everything filters, always filters back down to access, visibility and funding. And they're always sat more with men than they are with women. I'd say another aspect to that is the way youngsters are coached. And actually, I go as far as to say emerging teams, new women's teams are coached as well. Looking at my daughter playing hockey, for example, she's naturally quite sporty. She's very fast runner she's got good hand-eye coordination but at that age group they're mixed in with the boys the boys are naturally more competitive I, I would say at that age and yep. the coaches don't do enough for me to even the playing field and I'm not saying separate boys from girls I think that's they shouldn't do that but what they should definitely do is coach the boys to involve the girls more in the game and find ways of being more encouraging so that girls don't play passively and let the boys take all the glory. You see that quite often. The boys will pass amongst themselves and not to the girls. They'll, uh, yeah. they'll dominate play, often playing badly, actually, because they're not linking with the female players around them because those girls are, are too passive and, and unwilling to, to speak up and actually demand possession of the ball and, and you see that in rugby at that age group as well from your perspective then it's we're coaching i've coached a women's rugby team now for some time i had to take a big change in in my coaching style when i started doing it what can we coach coaches to do better to reinforce hashtag i am enough oh, that's a really great question i've never coached and I, I really respect anyone who has i think it's extremely difficult and you don't have one person to look after as you do as a player you know you, yeah. you look after yourself predominantly you've got everybody and their problems you know everyone as a coach people come to you they trust you so respect to all coaches first and foremost it's a tough job yeah i guess for kids especially at that age Girls are, like you say, much more passive in many respects at sport, possibly because it's not seen as, as cool to be competitive and to be a bit more, I will say aggressive, but it's not aggressive, assertive yeah. with the way you play. If you're good enough, be assertive. And I, I certainly remember being a bit like that at school and then sort of being told, oh, that, that's not a girly. Why are you doing that? Well, the boys do it. And how, you know, like you say, at a certain age, we all still play together. All the kids are trained together. So why are they taught differently to be less? assertive and if coaches are able to to step in and say I don't want to almost say forcing people to pass the ball to girls but if you score and every player on the team hasn't touched the ball it doesn't count 
No, that's not saying it must go to the girls, but it is in a less direct way. Blue conditions in, you can't score unless you pass three times. Exactly, things like that. There are also boys who aren't assertive, and there are boys who actually don't want to play sport when they grow up, who actually might be far more interested in something that's seen as traditionally female, like I don't know, fashion or design. There are loads of boys that want to do that. I think it works in both directions. Is not all girls like sport and not all boys like sport. And we have to allow the space for both to find out if they want to do it or not. There are plenty of straight men who have companies on catwalks. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's all these boxes, you know, stop telling girls to get more involved and, and actually teach them, show them how to be assertive. Assertive women aren't aggressive or bossy. They're just assertive. Yeah. Rugby is hard enough without your equipment letting you down. From badly fitting shirts to shorts that cut off your circulation, many sportswear manufacturers haven't worked out how to make kit that fits for the rich variety of women's shapes and sizes. After years of development, feedback and research, Halbro have done what many bigger sportswear brands have yet to achieve, designed a playing kit specifically to fit the female form. With curves in all the right places, four-way stretch, and a cut to suit all shapes and sizes, Halborough are uniquely placed to give your team the shirts they deserve. For more information, contact Fergus at halborough.com. To learn more about what Halborough can do for you, and to see some amazing case studies, visit www.halborough.com forward slash women's hyphen rugby. And don't forget to mention Grassroots. We talked a little bit earlier about kits. One thing I think that coaches should do, and I wish I'd done it going back in the day, although to be fair, there may not have been women's fit kits available around then. But I think coaches really need to put pressure on the committees in their clubs to take this seriously. I think usually they're given a set of hand-me-down shirts from whatever teams just bought a new kit and they're given those and told to make do for the time being and we'll have a look at it in the future and so on. I think coaches can really put pressure on the exec committees to say, look, you know, this is worth investing in. How I completely agree. How important has kit been to you personally over the years? I think kit that doesn't fit or kit that's made for somebody else proves that you just don't care. And clubs have committee members, like you say, board members who will say, I really do believe I care in my women's team. I'll do anything to support them but you won't buy them kit that's designed for women. And that doesn't say you actually care. They, they think they do. They truly believe that they do. But when it comes to putting any money into it whatsoever, go, oh, well, we've had to make budget cuts. We wouldn't buy it in the first place. There's no cut there. There's some interesting conversations I've seen around it. There's clubs that have been buying kit for men for 100 years. And uh, what about for one year? You buy women's kit and the men find the size that fits them. That's essentially what women do. You go on the size chart, you, you take a rough guess at what should fit and hopefully won't hurt too much in all the wrong places. And they'll always say, well, we couldn't do that. It wouldn't fit. So you agree. <laughs> in, in short, you agree that men's kit doesn't fit women the way women's kit wouldn't fit men. And that's the problem is people aren't willing for one season to have men play in women's kit but they will have women playing men's kit for 20, 30, 100 years. There are brands that do, and there's, there's Brian's Lions Sevens team who had uh, men's and women's team out, uh, Sevens tournament this summer. They were all in women's kit, and the men's team played in women's kit. And do you know what? They actually said it was really comfy. <laughs> 
<laughs> so maybe there's something there. I don't know. There is, but, yeah, uh, I think you're right. Yeah, I think until clubs are willing to put their money where their mouth is, there are obviously supplier and kit contracts that but they're tied to. But if clubs really back themselves and really support the women's team, then say it. If you're not willing to commit to a women's fit kit, you can be the men's sponsor, but you can't be the women's sponsor. I, I think that's great advice. That's usually the argument that's given back is, well, we're locked in a contract with you know O'Neill's or whoever it is for a different amount of time. For me, if they don't make a women's fit kit, and, and I mean a genuine women's fit kit, not just a pink and sport. A unisex. Kit, yeah. <laughs> then they don't have a product that fits within the contract. The contract yeah, means no longer, no longer relevant. And I think also, alongside that, thinking differently about how people pay for them. I think I think that women's teams should be able to buy their own shirts rather than have a big bag of shirts of a variety of sizes, which is traditionally how the men's clubs have done it. And there's ways of doing that. The club could pay up front and subsidize it through membership, for example. You could have ways of collecting money for kit through subs, you know. If there really are budgetary restrictions at clubs, which is a thing, and you know, I've been in meetings where you looked at the finances and thought, hell, this is not good. So going out and spending a thousand pounds on kit is, is a bit much at that particular moment in time. But that doesn't mean that there aren't ways of doing it. Club can use its buying power to buy in bulk at discounted rates, but players should, in my opinion, have the opportunity to pick and choose a shirt that actually is tailored to their needs. And you certainly would for a men's team. It is tough, but it's 2022 and the budget cut excuse for me doesn't really fly anymore. It's not a huge expense to make sure that your team have kit that fits them for purpose. I've got friends who've had hip injuries because the shorts don't fit and scrummaging actually is damaging their bodies because they can't function in what they're wearing. It's just simple things like that. If you really care, as simple as making sure that the shorts fit, what's wrong with that? You know, There are plenty of providers out there these days. They are available. They might not be available through your traditional manufacturers. And if that's the case, you either tell your manufacturer to sort their shit out or you go elsewhere. You actually can make that decision. If an enormous club turns around and says, no, you don't make kit that fits, we won't take your kit anymore for our women's team, they will sort it out very, very quickly. But if you don't use that power to make that change, then it shows you're only doing it because you think you have to rather than doing it because you want to make a difference to the women's team. One of the arguments that you hear both in the pro game and the grassroots game is that men have fought for however many decades, 100 years at this club and all the rest of it to be where they are today. And women can't expect to have everything just doled out to them on a plate because they've been around for six months. Well, I think that's a lazy argument personally. But how do we counter that at a grassroots level when our committee is saying, well, the men, have, they've been going for 50 years and there's 300 members versus your 20 members. Why should we give you anything? And why have you got a women's team? If you don't want to give them anything, why have you got them? Why have you made a space for them? Why don't you let them go to a club that wants to afford what they deserve? And just because it's been hard for you, that this applies to think that any walk of life, just because it was hard for you doesn't mean it has to be hard for somebody else. I walked through those hot coals to get here, so you must do it too. Well, actually, you now have a route around that, yet you won't afford it to those people. I think is an extremely lazy argument. To be honest, if that's what your club is saying to you, I would say go and find another club. Take 20 players and go somewhere else. about rugby this is not just about the sport it's about women and it's about women's sport and it's about putting us on a platform and knowing that we can do it I, I challenge anyone to say that women's rugby is not good enough and women are not good enough because we are It's tough for female athletes they just want to play a sport they love you tend to find that they'll face a lot of abuse for it There's not that many opportunities for 
the type of female that excels in rugby to excel elsewhere in the same way. We need the sport just as much as the sport needs us. So this is the best thing about anyone coming to the soup. You walk through the gate and you see my face. <laughs> it was there in black and white in the rugby rule book that I could wear a headscarf and play rugby. And that for me was like, oh, see, you belong in rugby. This is rugby telling you you're welcome. Rugby is the fastest growing sport in the world, but women's rugby is growing much faster than men's rugby. More and more sponsors are now seeing there's huge commercial value investing in women's sport. There are a lot of women and girls that could use role models that don't all look the same. I do feel very privileged to be playing at a time that I get to have like a front row seat to this moment in history. How can I help and how can other male allies really help support the women's game? If you put your money where your mouth is, us as women will show you we are worthy, as we always do. Mic drop. So, Victoria, why don't you give me a quick overview of the project then? Talk me through how the idea came to you and that process of building it. So, the idea came a few months after the I'm Enough movement, I suppose. I'd watched it happen and the incredible response that that movement had had among rugby and among women. And for the good of social media, it brought it all together. But it is, in many ways, an echo chamber for people who all agree with how we felt. So although we wonderfully helped empower each other and ourselves, we weren't able necessarily to actually make change because um, change doesn't come in those very big moments. It comes in the small moments. I wanted to take the message from the movement, from the empowerment that women had felt from it. And there was a very clear message that it's not just rugby. It's not just sport, but this feeling of isolation and not belonging and not having the opportunities is very common for almost everybody and I don't think it's specific to gender either but I want to take the message and, and put it into something that more people could see it and would hear it and understand it and want to be part of making change and after a couple of months of sort of developing a bit of an idea I kind of came to making a film and making a film about inspiration and empowerment it's something you can watch and love and laugh and, and cry to and really feel a sense of connection to the individuals and the wonderful, wonderful people involved in the game because that's really how we bring more people into rugby, I think, is is showing them who the individuals are. They should come and watch and then they'll go find them and then they'll go watch them. Yeah, that was the idea, really. It was kind of around December 2020 and then from then we just got going. I just contacted people, you know, everybody in the film I'd never spoken to properly before before we started to dis discuss the idea. And kind of went from there, really. Uh, everyone gave their everything. And incredibly now we are in this position where the film will be on Amazon Prime. And that's, I think, is just an unbelievable achievement for everyone involved to come from that sort of just idea to where we are now. And, her, and, and the fact that a, a platform like Amazon genuinely gives us what we set, aimed and set out to do is to reach millions of people all over the world with the message. And because of the platform that it is, we're able to do that. 
more able to help inspire and empower and and all these parents that keep messaging me about their kids wanting to watch it together for me that that's just the best feeling and I love that everyone loves it I really really do but there's something very powerful about the fact that these kids are seeing it and they yeah. want to watch I, it I think too. my club are going to show it on a big screen and get everybody together to watch it and that's what I'm hoping lots of people will send me all the details or send them onto the Instagram account because we'll share them all so that you know, from all over the world. So if anybody does want to go and join one and wants to be part of that one evening, then uh, they know where to go. But yeah, it's been incredible. Hoping to not have to reflect to enjoy it, but I'm really feeling a lot of love from a lot of people. And that's all it was about was, again, whether it's the, the really close-knit inside the women's rugby community or it's actually others around it. And that's really what I'm trying to get to is everybody, not just, you know, not that top five percent who maybe play in the Premier 15s or play for their countries but actually everyone else as well because that really is yeah. that's rugby totally what has surprised you about the project Victoria that's a great question I don't think I went in with any specific expectations to then be surprised what everybody gave there were people who said no don't get me wrong there were people who said we couldn't do it there were industry experts who said it wasn't worth doing and not because the necessarily the message wasn't worth telling, but just because they didn't see the value in how a film would do that. But there's always naysayers. But what I think what surprised me most is the people involved who have helped us get here, and that's not just the cast, but everybody involved in terms of editing and production and, and all the support that we've had for, for screenings and from clubs. And I think people were willing to go above and beyond at every step of everything. Everybody gave whatever they could. And I think that, epitomizes rugby when you really sit back and look at it, it epitomizes everything about any grassroots sport I think it always surprises you every time when somebody's willing to go above and beyond we actually had a clip from the BBC from I think it's from 1986 you have to obviously get all the rights approved to use clips like that and I already had it but I didn't know the date that it was aired or where it was aired or what it was and I just asked a few people around sort of rugby and I was like, I've got this was anybody first of all around <laughs> then because I was Unfortunately, does anybody have any idea what this is or where it's from? Because it's in the film and I really need to get it approved. And suddenly I had four or five people from all over the club from different ages and all sorts of things. And people who spent years of their life archiving women's rugby footage in, in England who knew exactly what it was. These people who spent their lives doing this, you know, and, and that kind of thing where you send one message and you get all of this information back. And the next thing I know, I was on the phone to Sue Dorrington, who's helping explain the story of, of where the clip came from and what was going on. And just things like that. It's just incredible the depth that people are willing to go to to help when it really means something like this. And I think from a professional side, the reach we've had on social for organic posts, we, we haven't put money behind the promotion as such across social. We've just let it go where it wants to go and where it's welcomed I suppose and I think we've had collectively over 100,000 views of the trailer from a week ago which is an incredible number and that's not even looking at YouTube from like an Amazon perspective so it's definitely been yeah. overwhelming but there's something quite lovely about how everybody's come together and just what people are willing Sweet. to do so who features in it then i, I saw shauna brown was a has got a major part in it but who else have you managed to is one of the major parts um steph evans who plays for worcester warriors and also she runs rugged okay. as well zainab alima who many people will hopefully know sue ansis oh, yeah. mbe and hugo monya wow. and myself Hugo's a great character, isn't he? He's a, he's a calm, professional. Very calm. Very calm guy, to shoot he? with. Um, 
And, you know, even people like Hugo, for example, he helped at every possible stage he could. If he could do something, he did it. The first time I spoke to him, he just said yes. That was it. You know, realistically, I mean, there's a few, there's a few conversations, but he just said yes. Whatever it is, let me know. I'll do it. I'll be there. It was almost as simple as that because he believed in what we were doing. And I think that resonated across everybody. You know, I was like, I don't know exactly what's going to happen at the very beginning. Certainly in December 2020, we didn't know where we would be now. But we always hoped, well, I secretly certainly did. They did whatever they could. And and the characters, Shauna is incredible. She is wonderful on camera. And that personality really shines through. It's even better (laughs) when you're there in person. It was just such an enjoyable experience. I wouldn't go back and change any of it. If I could do anything, I'd do it all much yeah. faster. Yeah. What about from a personal perspective, Victoria? What did you learn about yourself during the production? Anything is possible. Literally anything, I think, is what I've learned through this. And I say things like that a lot. But I think this really proves that with the right attitude and with the right message, because you couldn't do this with something that didn't mean what it does, I think I think is a really key part to that. But... It's been a wonderful journey and I've realized how important this is to me. It was always important, it certainly was, but now it's embedded in everything I do every day and I couldn't love that more. There's a lot going on right now and I was sat last night talking to Steph, funny enough, and I've definitely had times in my life where I've been equally busy, but I have never been this least stressed about it. Because I'm enjoying so much the amount that there is to, to do and the people to speak to and the messages that are coming through. And that just makes it such a wonderful experience. I love getting up and doing it. And I know every day I, I need 100 more hours, but I don't mind. I'm not overstressed by it. And I think what I've learned is I found what is most important to me. And I hope to continue to do it for as long as I possibly can. With these big projects, it's difficult sometimes, in my experience anyway, to avoid that imposter syndrome a little bit, that little monkey on your shoulder saying, you don't know what you're doing, this isn't going to work, all this sort of stuff. How did you silence that self-doubt when at times it must have felt like a huge mountain to climb? I probably will always struggle with that. I don't think it's something, if you do struggle with imposter syndrome, I don't think it's something that ever necessarily goes away. I speak to the people close to me who tend to give me some quite clear <laughs> sentences about what we've achieved that tend to put things in perspective a little sort bit. Sort shit out, Victoria. <laughs> yeah, you, know, well, you, know, you made a film it's on Amazon. You don't need to feel imposter syndrome about that. And frankly, if you step away from it and you take out the personal emotion, yes, they're right, but I don't necessarily believe them. So even now, you know, and we're here and it's done and it's coming. But I think I focus on what I can impact rather than what I necessarily can't and try to use the energy elsewhere. It sounds probably quite like a generic answer, but I personally have to force myself to not think about that. Think about what else I can and should be doing, because otherwise I could just stop and sit on the sofa and say, I don't deserve this and walk away. No one would get anywhere then. Fortunately, the list of things that needs doing is so long, it's very easy to distract myself with other things to do. But I'm... Um, having screening next week with a few people within rugby and I will be speaking. Public speaking is something I absolutely loathe. I'm great on sat now, you know, talking to somebody one-to-one. I'm great on screen on with uh, like Zoom calls and things. But when it comes to a room full of people, it actually makes me physically anxious to even think about it, let alone do it. So I'm spending as much of my time as possible reading and reading and rereading my speech 
I don't feel like I should be up there talking. And that's a big part of that feeling. So instead of focusing on not wanting to be there and not wanting to do it, I'm focusing on what I want to get out of it afterwards. And I don't want the evening for people to leave and think, oh, she could have probably done that better. I want to leave going, I know I gave everything to that moment. And if it's not good enough, it's not, but at least I gave everything. There's a combination, I think, of distraction, focusing on what's most important, the small things that are most important, not the big things. Don't look at the big picture. Look at the everyday. I think that's one of the reasons why, I digress a little, why this was so successful in the way that it was. So I've never made a full feature-length film before. I had absolutely no idea what hurdles were to come because I just didn't know what I didn't know. And because of that, I didn't sit at the beginning and go, oh, well, I'll need to think about this and, oh, I'll need to think about that. I just got on with it. So instead of looking at this enormous mountain, I could only see step one. And there's something about that almost naivety going into this that I think is what helped make it possible. Because when everybody said, or anybody said, you can't do it, it won't work, I was like, okay, fine, thanks, no worries. That's okay. I couldn't see the mountain that they could see. I just couldn't see it. And there's something quite wonderful about that. And I hope to continue to kind of find and take that feeling with me places because I always say if you don't look up at the mountain, you just look at that first step in front of you, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to get up it. Yeah, I think that for me is probably kind of perfect analogy for any imposter syndrome or any fear of doing anything. Just look at the little things you can do now. Don't worry about the rest later sometimes. Absolutely. What must be both daunting and also humbling is the knowledge that irrespective of what the audience reaction is going to be, this is the first this is a moment in history, a moment in time where a mainstream broadcaster of Amazon's size and power has put their confidence in you to tell a story that we've been trying to shout about for, well, in my case, nearly a decade, you know, nobody will ever be able to take that away from you that you were the first. So what's next then? I mean, this is a, a big one. I'm hoping it's the first, not the last and the only. What's next? That's a great question. Do you know what? You're not the first person to ask me that. And <laughs> my immediate answer was, uh, it's not even out yet. Give me a break. Um, <laughs> and to be fair, it was my other half that said that. So what's the next? Do you know, I have a lot of ideas. Certainly, I hope will not be the first and the last. If anything, I hope it's the first of many. I want to help tell the stories of female athletes and those in marginalized communities. We see a lot of the same people on TV. I fully appreciate that in many respects, I look like a lot of those. That doesn't mean I can't use the position I am in to help make change to that. There's something about positions of privilege, which I appreciate I sit in, that I can use that to help others. And I don't know all the stories, but I could tell this story. I was part of this story. It's embedded in my life is rugby. But I would like to tell more stories within rugby for sure. There's, you know, this isn't the only one. This isn't the all-encompassing. Uh, it looks at one specific element. And I believe there are many, many more all over the world. You know, for example, a couple of comments I have seen are that English rugby isn't all rugby. And, it, and it's not. I happen to live in it. So I am enough and no woman, no try are sat from that perspective. But there are stories all over the world to tell. For me, the way we empower the next generation is by telling those stories and giving them those visible opportunities. So the first of many, I would love to work in many more sports because I think this type of story isn't unique to rugby in that respect. And I want to learn a lot more about other women's sports. I, I think I know quite a bit about ours. Yeah. We certainly don't know enough about all the others and what their challenges look like and how we can all learn from them. And we can learn from each other. So first of many. Victoria. 
best of luck. We're all very excited about watching it and congratulations on completing the task and getting it out there. It's a, it's a hell of an achievement. So best of luck with it all. Thank you. I just hope everybody loves it as much as I've loved the last 18 month journey. It's competition time. We are thrilled to announce that in partnership with the brilliant Halbro, we have a full set of 25 pairs of women's fit shorts to give away. These shorts will be tailored to your team in your colours with your logo and the Grassroots logo. All you have to do is click on the Survey Monkey link in the show notes or on our social media, complete the form, tell us why you need a full set of women's fit shorts for your team, and you can be in with a chance of winning. Thanks so much for listening to this special episode. As always, please like, share, comment, and rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to support the podcast and help us invest in the production, Please buy us a coffee for just £4 on www.ko-fi.com forward slash grassroots rugby pods. The link will also be in the show notes. A brilliant finish. This was Grassroots, women's rugby on the roots up.